getting a come. I get nothing, Captain my Stan. How can I stay at home? I don't want to come so here gentlemen, to Scotland show. I want to explain what I we're trying to do. I come here at all. Now, in the first... Tell me how can I have a lot of stay this week? As I was saying, gentlemen. My away groaning. I never had nothing to say. If you've got a grudge, I'll put it, man. I don't have. <laughs> i got nothing to say. <laughs> you get all the acting parts. I don't know why. I've seen that rotten show yours at a palladium. listeners welcome to goompod or as it shall come to be known the peter sellers does a selection of german accents podcast uh, because every show we've done so far seems to have had reference to him doing comedy german accents last episode we did the great bank robbery episode in which he appears as Idleberger. Uh, before that we did uh, an episode on the muppet show when we talked about sellers doing franz liebkind from the producers and we've done an entire episode on Dr. Strangelove. And this episode today will be no exception. But we'll come to what we're discussing uh, today shortly. First, I'd like to introduce my guest. He's the host of what seems like dozens of podcasts, <laughs> um, uh, including uh, Real Britannia, Stinking Paws. And he's the co-host of the official Talking Pictures TV podcast. It's Scott Phipps. Tyler, hello, mate. I'd, I'd like to call this episode the... Um the story of the film of the book of the tram rather, <laughs> rather than uh, <laughs> you know there is a running theme you're quite right with the running theme of sellers and his german accents this is definitely a classic example mate what you'll find in this one as well there's a lot of references to spike's military history as well i think mm. uh, which is, is you know quite famous because of the books but yeah you, you'll find that there's a lot of references to to all their war experiences i think in this one yeah. So uh, in case you haven't seen by the title of today's uh, episode, we're discussing the Series 9 classic, I Was Monty's Treble, which went out in November 1958. But before we sort of start delving into that, I'd like to ask Scott, I always ask every guest, how did you come to discover the goons, Scott? Oh, I would say now I was probably about nine or ten years old and just been given me first radio i've been given a clock radio alarm of all things mm. so you know the old-fashioned fm am that's all it was mm-hmm. um and it's about that sort of age 10 11 years old you're starting to get into your own music choices not relying on your older brother's lp collection and things and you're listening to yourself and it's early 80s for me so radio one would have been a bit of a staple for me and we were talking yesterday off air weren't we mate about a sort of a a history of our remembrance of adrian just on a saturday afternoon on radio one as yeah Hmm. and it was quite a unique show for radio one it was just this one-off thing on the saturday afternoons that would play it was mainly sort of classic hits from the 60s and the 70s it wasn't sort of chart stuff if i remember rightly but interspersed in between it all he would do sort of like 60 minutes to, sorry 60 seconds to sort of 2 minute clips of classic bbc comedy and there was stuff like american stand up in there like bob newhart but the thing that always stood out for me was the british stuff like the hancock the round the horn stuff that he put on there and the goons fully aware of the goons anyway because living in britain you know everybody knew spike milligan everybody knew peter sellers and harry seacombe and the more i was listening to it and the more it was making me laugh as a 10 year old 11 year old kid i thought i needed to seek out a bit more so you know frantically searching the radio times every week to see if radio 4 would be playing any at any point and and recording them you know the old c90 cassettes you know collection built Mm. up um, and it wasn't just Goon Show stuff, it was Hancock, it was Round the Horn, as I say, and I was collecting everything that I could on these very sparse, you know, recordings that are very few and far between. And um, eventually I started buying cassettes and vinyl back then, as it were, you know, and I think this was one of the first ones I had. I think it was on a cassette with the Whistling Spy Enigma. 
It was. It was. Um, Is that right? So yeah. my memory's correct there. So that's a perfect double bill when you think about it. Um, yeah. And funny enough, the, the next episode that I'm recording will be, fingers crossed, will actually be the Whistling Spy Enigma. So, See, yeah. the theme is still running strong throughout the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see how many more you've got before you run out of um, content. Hello. Hello. Um, you know, and then there was other ones. I think I had um, a very bizarre cassette. They had three episodes on it, so it was like a, an episode and a half on each mm. side. And you had, to, and that was, I think it was Pliny the Elder, Dishonored. I think it might have been Tales of Old Dartmoor. I think were the three on that cassette. Well, that would probably not include Pliny. No, I think that was one of the. That would be one of the. Was it the EMI releases that had the music cut out? That's it. That's the one. Um, yeah, it might have been. Would it have been Six Charlies in Search of a? Could have been. An Could have been Six Charlies in Search of an Author. It was definitely Dishonored. I think Dishonored and, and, and Old Dartmoor. Yeah, because those two were on the same LP originally, and I remember that I had. I think I had that tape or I had a tape mm. like that which had three. But in any case, that, yeah, you, you mentioned C ninety tapes. Um, yes, obviously. Do you remember we? Uh, when I was, you know, 15, 16, all my money went, if not on, on VHS tapes, it would go on C90s exactly. or C60s. Yeah. And occasionally we all tried the C120s, didn't we? Which weren't, which, <laughs> which, which weren't fit for purpose. Varying quality, depending where you bought them, to be honest. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Adrian Just, though. So I, I, when I was living in Belfast, again, early 90s, I used to listen to, to his show occasionally. And... Uh, and I'd be sat there like most teenagers in the late 80s, early 90s, taping music, taping songs that I particularly, you know, particularly liked. And yeah, it wasn't it wasn't chart stuff on his show at all. But I remember I taped Alone Again Naturally by Gilbert O'Sullivan. <laughs> OK, yeah. Which I really like. Cause it's a it's a poignant, it's a melancholy song. It's it's very sad, isn't it? And uh, mm. and he played that song. And then right as the, the last few notes were fading out. You've got, mm. I think, Oliver Hardy coming in going, ah, that's a lot of applesauce. <laughs> Which rather... He either did that deliberately or he was very, very ill-judged. Who knows what how his brain worked. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it rather killed the mood. But I, I, I can't hear that song because I used to listen to that tape that had all the music I'd taped on. I can't hear that song now without thinking, you know, when it, when it gets to the end, thinking that, Oliver Hardy's going to cut in. (laughs) But yeah, that was my history. I mean, my my parents weren't massive fans from what I can remember. And obviously I was was a big fan of Monty Python, so you could see the influences even at an early age of where the Python stuff came from. And and, and Spike was still on TV back then, you know, in the Q series and appearing here, there and everywhere. And then Harry Seacombe had, you know, gone back to his musical career and was presenting Highway in the early 80s. So they were still... You know, a recognisable force. You know, Sellers had just died in 1980, but everybody knew the Pink Panther movies. And, you know, and if you were lucky, you'd see something like I'm All Right Jack on a Saturday afternoon on BBC Two or whatever. The goons were not something that were buried away and forgotten, even even back then. Mm. So, Scott, so this show, I Was Monty's Treble, it's obviously, mm-hmm. it's one of the many uh, goon shows that parodied Stiff Upper Lip British yes. wartime films from the 1950s. A, a close companion to it would be uh, The Man Who Never Was, obviously, which I've covered previously here. Mm. And and it's, it's shall we say, it's source material, <laughs> although we say that loosely. <laughs> uh, it's a was, bit tenuous, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Was the um, John Mills film, I Was Meant as Double. It's sort of entitled only, isn't it? Because on your advice yesterday, I was going to rewatch I Was Meant as Double. And you said, Scott, you don't really have to bother because <laughs> there's, there's no, <laughs> there's no real, con- and there isn't, you know. And and part of the reason I believe you invited me onto this show was hosting Real Britannia, which is a, a podcast that I do that's totally dedicated to British movies. Yes, there is a lot of cross pollination from British movies of this period and what the goons were doing because I was Monty's double I believe was only released three weeks before this episode went out so mm-hmm. as, as as you know it's well documented Spike Milligan would write the script within the week which obviously lent um, you know to his troubles in later life well, even during this period you know that he was being burnt out constantly because he was so on the ball you know his finger was on the pulse of cultural media you know the social media of the time of what was going on 
Yes. He, he was writing a script based on... There's references throughout this to, like, Charles de Gaulle had only just come to power again <laughs> a month before. If, if you, you know, if you can read between what's actually being said and know a bit of the history of what's going on. Yeah, because they there's a... Um recurring theme they keep mentioning eva bartok eva bartok is a bizarre <laughs> now if people don't know eva bartok wasn't a major major hollywood actress i mean she, she fled hungary i think she married a hollywood producer when she was about 15 to escape the nazi invasion and she became a minor star and it was only through i think she got noticed by burt lancaster who cast her in the crimson pirate that she became a bit of a well-known figure Mm-hmm. Um, and why Eva Bartok is mentioned throughout this, I've got no idea. But I think she gets three, three nods at least in this particular episode. But it's a bit like, you know, when Spike would pick up on something and he'd run with it. You know, like have a gorilla that would run through that particular yes. episode. Yes. Or pull up a chair. You know that. You know, and he would pick on one particular phrase. And Eva Bartok seems to be the one that's the running. Sabrina. You know, they pick a mm-hmm. cultural reference of the time. But Eva Bartok is a bizarre one to me because she wasn't that well known. Well, this is the something that we've discussed on here before: is people and and things that were in the news at mm. the time. And it's the old it's the old adage, isn't it? Today's news is tomorrow's fish paper. Fish and chip paper. And and things that people may have been talking about in October, November nineteen fifty eight are completely lost to the lost to the sands of time now. Oh, incredible. Um, Yeah. And so I was just thinking, I was was thinking, okay, so this went out early November nineteen fifty eight. I I thought, okay, I'll just have a bit of a Google for Mm. Eva Bartok. And I put October, (laughs) put October nineteen fifty eight, just to see what it would bring up. And there was a few photographs saying Eva Bartok, October 1958, seen here sharing a joke with the Marquis of Milford Haven and, <laughs> and things like that. Sort of Eva Bartok being photographed with various socialites, you know. Yeah. Uh, so it's quite possible that around that time that Spike was writing the show, she was in the gossip columns. Do you reckon she was a, a Kardashian of her time, possibly? Possibly. Possibly, <laughs> but yeah. So, as you say, if you if you go into this show, I was Monty's treble, hoping for it to be a faithful parody of I was Monty's double, you're going to be disappointed. Yeah. But uh, the film itself actually is fantastic. I've seen it about three times now. It's a cracking film. You, you must cover it sometime, actually. On, yeah, um, I haven't seen it probably for about twenty or thirty years plus. I'd say, but it is perfect for what real britannia does you know it's got john mills in it and all those guys uh that you'd expect to be in a british movie from the 1950s it's got the voice of mr kipling it's got james hater james hater who went on to appear in are you being served didn't he in the 70s yes mr tebbs yeah and as my friends at the uh, on the sitcom club podcast mm-hmm. would tell you uh britain's first sitcom star because really okay before hancock because uh he was star of pinwright's progress okay which yep. began in the late 40s okay so scott in terms of this show it's 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 you're on a hiding to nothing being asked <laughs> to sort of summarize the plot but can you give it you know can you make a decent fist of it do you think no i can't that's the thing <laughs> <laughs> Basically, it's, it's, the tagline that runs throughout this is, who is Eccles? Who is Eccles? You know, and if you've seen the original movie, it's the, the plot revolves around uh, finding an actor who looks very much like General Montgomery or Field Marshal Montgomery uh, and just placing him in certain strategic positions to confuse the enemy. A bit like the man who never was that you mentioned just a minute ago where they used a, a dead body with false papers on him yes. to confuse the enemy about invasion plans, wasn't it? And do you know what? Spike has taken that general premise and it's gone off in about 87 different directions. Mm-hmm. Um, and as I was saying to you a little while just off air, I think this... This is a classic example of a classic goon show that for anybody that's never heard a goon show in their life, I think this is one of the good examples of a good starting point for them. Yes. I think all the elements are here for a goon show. You know, you've got all the classic pairings of Henry and Min, of Eccles and Blue Bottle, of Grip Pipe and Moriarty. You know, everything's there. You've got Max Geldre, obviously, and you've got Ray Ellington. And 
this is like seven years in, I believe. It's season nine, isn't it, I think, now? We're it's, at. Yeah, so it's it's late 58, so they've been at yeah. it for, for seven, over seven years, for sure. Yeah, and pretty much at their peak. Spike's the peak of his writing power here. We're just on the cusp of Sellers becoming a megastar. You know, the year after, I think it was All Right Jack and um, Carlton Brown of the FO, you know, the stuff that would lead him eventually into the the millionaireess in the early 60s and two-way stretch and all of that stuff that would propel him into worldwide fame. So I think this is a good starting point for anybody that doesn't know any goon shows. It's also interesting that around about this time, if you notice, talking about all those classic war movies, there was a thing, like a 10-year rule, a rule of silence, that none of these secret plots could be revealed for 10 years. Oh, I didn't didn't know that. Yeah, so... Um, basically, as these stories were being revealed to the public, the movies were being made. Mm. And, and, of course, that's perfect fodder for Spike to, to make a script. That's why you see a lot of these sort of um, Operation So-and-So movies or whatever, because yeah. the, there was this 10-year wall of silence, apparently, that these stories weren't common knowledge at the time. You mentioned the, the classic pairings as well. You said mm. they're all present and correct. Yeah. Here's a question that um, I'm probably going to ask every guest going forward, because I think it's yep. quite a revealing question to ask, but Grip, Pipe and Moriarty, or yep. Blue Bottle and Eccles, or Minnie and Henry? Instantly I would have said Blue Bottle and Eccles, but I think I laugh more at Henry and Min. <laughs> yeah. um, and I don't know, because nothing is said for such a long time in those skits that they do. Mm-hmm. It's just them doddering about just, and it's Spike. You can, you can hear them cracking up mm-hmm. throughout that. I think, I think that Sellers and Milligan had more fun being Min and Henry than they did as Eccles and Blue Bottle. You can hear it in the recordings. Yeah. And if you look at this show in particular, and I was, I was talking to a previous guest about this, the exact relationship between Henry and Minnie is shrouded in mystery <laughs> and, and slightly sinful. Yes. The suggestions that there's something there which we don't quite know. And in this particular show, their entrance, if you want to call it that, is them in bed. <laughs> yes. Basically. But you kind of think, you kind of assume it's it's them in bed as Morgan and Wise were in bed. <laughs> yeah, I haven't really thought about their relationship until you mentioned it, to be honest. But uh, who knows? I always used to, when I was a kid or when I was a teenager listening to the shows, I've said this before, I was always a firmly a Blue Bottle and Eccles yeah. guy. Um, and, and as I've sort of the age I am now, I, I tend to, to lean more towards Grit, Pipe and Moriarty. Oh, uh, right. Okay. Yeah. But but Minnie and Henry, you're absolutely right. And, and again, it gives, their scenes give Milligan such uh, an opportunity just to sort of uh, sit back and just write in lots of O's and R's and Ur's <laughs> and mourning and yeah, just things it's the, like that. The doddering sort of sounds of them. You, you can almost hear them shuffling about the house, even though they're not <laughs> moving from the microphone, just in the way that he's doing the, the wobbly voice, you know. And it's incredible. And as I say, I think as, as I've got older, they've just become my favourites, I think, out of the pairings. Yeah. Mm. So listening to, listening, listening to the sort of the original uncut version, Mm. of I Was Monty's Trouble, because I'm sure you know that um, for the longest time, particularly on a lot of the uh, commercial releases, they were edited. Yeah. In some, in some cases, you know, up to three minutes was was cut out, some of these shows. Mm. So I was, I was listening to what I believe to be the, 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 the you know, the most, the, the fullest version available. Mm-hmm. And listening to it, because I'd grown up listening to the edited version, yeah, there's certain little words that have been clipped out okay of, of the no. edited versions which just kind of it just makes me think of a rather prudish editor is it some of the german type expressions that sound a little rude well i didn't pick up on that so much but I'm, the reason i mentioned that is because there's a, there's a sequence with minnie and henry yeah where i think it's um while they're doing, while they're having their little exchange, I think it's Seekham that's sort of sniggering. 
in you know uh, sort of <laughs> off stage or whatever yeah and at one point minnie says there's somebody laughing outside the bedroom door that's it uh, yes yeah and, and henry said it's that lodger we must get rid of him, of him. <laughs> and then minnie says did you take your male hormone pills oh right? they give me the strength to sleep yeah. yeah. Now, for some reason, on the edited version, or the version yeah. that I grew up with, the word male had been removed. Ah, I always grew up with the unedited version then. Because oh, okay. that was always in the, in the version that I had. Okay. And there's also, at the beginning of the show, there's a reference to uh, Spike is doing his little audience warm-up. Yes. And he says, let's do a little uh, test of... Uh, <laughs> He calls it marital fidelity, which is... Simple which test is, of marital fidelity, yeah. Yeah, but the, the version that I grew up with, the word marital had been excised. No, <laughs> so was, no again, yeah, I've, I've always had that in the version that I listened right. to. Um, just it's talking odd, about that, yeah, just talking about that warm-up, actually, while we're here. Mm. Um, it's a classic example of how comfortable the three of them are working together because it's evident, because I think, Harry actually says that this part of the script would only been written that morning. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of sniggering going on. There's a lot of almost tumbleweed as well. It's like Spike goes, I'll carry on. I'll carry on like that. Yes. Yes. Um, okay. It's me, you know, sort of thing. Or well, think, in or something, you know, I think mm. there was a bit where Sellers was meant to speak and he didn't. And so Spike just carries on. He says, yeah, he says it's Sellers' part now, he says yes, at one point. That's right. Yes, You see, folks, we cover ourselves both ways. This doesn't make much sense anymore, but I'll carry on. You see? We cover ourselves both ways, but the wing gets into the side. Oh, naughty wing. Oh, I still carry on now. It's Sellers' part. See, now, folks, now, folks, a simple test of marital fidelity. Bend down, clutch the ankles, and say after me. No, not that. Gonna last the pace, folks. <laughs> Good man, Milligan. Here, here's a ticket to Eva Bartok. You just get the feeling throughout this whole 25 minutes that they're broadcasting on a knife edge, but in a delightful way, not a dangerous way. Well, that's it, because there's so many of the shows, particularly at this in this era, the, you know, the the last knockings of the Goon Show, I suppose you'd call it. Yeah. So, so many endings, as as would. Uh, Spike would carry on into the Q series where sketches yeah. would just kind of end, no ending. <laughs> yeah. So many goon shows just kind of ended with them just saying, right, we're off now. Yeah. Uh, or just an explosion just to finish things off or something because there was no... Yes. There was no scripted ending, you know, yeah. Yes. Also around about this time, season nine, as Sellers is getting more popular in in the movie world, this is the season where there's a few replacements, isn't it? You know, where... Mm-hmm. Kenneth Connor steps in a couple of times, I believe, in this season. And is it Pink Oboe where there's actually four actors that replace Sellers? This is how versatile the man is. Yeah, there's Valentine, um, Valentine Dial, uh, Jack Train, who was Ch- uh, Colonel Chinstrap on uh, um, Itmar. Yeah. Graham Stark, I think, is in there as well, possibly. And yeah. Kenneth Connor, I think, Kenneth are the Connor. four. Um, yeah, incredible that this is the season that, you know, as I say, it's, it's towards the tail end and, and Sellers must have been filming something that was coming up the following year, like, say, I'm all right, Jack, or whatever it may have been. Um, so they're having well, to rely on sort of stand-ins, aren't they, a couple of times? Yeah, the the official version for him not being there for Pink Oboe was um, sore throat. Yes. Okay. Uh, whether that's the case or not, it could have just been Sellers having a tantrum. Or, <laughs> yeah, the, or, yeah, or whatever. Because yeah. um, there's not that many shows that he didn't appear in. There's only, I, I mean, I can think of that, and there's very few others I can think of, if any. Um, mm. But there are, yes, you're right, there are some shows where, is it the £50 Cure? I think that Seekin is absent. Yes. Um, um, Dick Emery stands in at, at, some, at one point as well. Definitely the £50 Cure, which is part of this season. I mean, the famous one that everyone points to, and it, it wasn't from the season, it was going back to Series 7, Yeah, is the uh, MacRiki Rising of 74, okay. which was put out on a uh, an LP, uh, yeah. and uh, which I'm not quite sure why it was, because it, Milligan was absent, 
and Sellers does all his roles. And everyone says, if you listen to it, you can't tell. And I'm like, well, not really. Yeah, I can, I can tell. Love Sellers to bits, and 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 I've got a little bit. I've had a little bit of flack, not not death threats, not that level, mm-hmm. but I've had a little bit of flack from a few people that have listened to some of these, where I've not been sort of eulogising the performers as much as I should be. They, right. they feel. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think you know the purpose of this is um, is is to is to celebrate what they achieved and what they did and their body of work and and to acknowledge the great work that they did, that they did. But I'm not going to just pretend that everything was fantastic because it patently wasn't and sometimes you know you can tell when it's sellers doing a voice of course yeah this kind of this kind of perception that's grown up over the many many years that you could never tell that was peter sellers doing that voice if you didn't Mm. if you didn't know beforehand no you can kind of tell it's peter sellers of course you can of course you can on a similar vein for years famously George Chisholm was part of the part of Wally Starts band or certainly you know part of the Goon Show band yes and he appears in this there's this trombone piece that he does mm. and he sings I'm in love with an old trombone you hear it wailing in the background in the distance yes, yes. for years I thought that was Spike Milligan and it was George Chisholm wasn't it that actually did that yes so, yeah yeah yeah, and that's funny because again, that's another example of um, some judicious editing. Ah, because if right. you remember, he he sings that, and then Sellers, as the character Flower Jew, says uh, it's very good but entirely out of place, or something, doesn't he? Something. Yeah. Like that? Yes, he says it's it, yes, very good but entirely out of place, dear. <laughs> and the edited version, yeah, basically has him just going, yes, that's very good. So oh. they wanted to get rid of the the, the word dear because that's got connotations, I Course, suppose. Yeah. So they were getting they were just getting rid of individual words here and there just because they were terrified that it might upset some elderly ladies in Dawlish or somewhere. Yeah, some certain sensibilities somewhere. Yeah. But yeah, you know, George Chisholm, he would very often he'd be given lines in the show. Yes. But for years, I always thought that the I'm in love with an old trombone bit was Spike just in the background, mm. you know, standing four feet away from a <laughs> microphone, just wailing out, you know. Yeah, well, I originally, I used to think that what he was saying was, I'm in love with a mountain. Oh. I'm in love with a mountain. <laughs> oh, that's, that's, yeah, which would no, be entirely no, in keeping with yeah, the Goon Show. old trombone. Um, completely off topic, one of my favourite characters who doesn't appear enough mm. is Webster Smogpule. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it's just fantastic. You know, it, it is the simplest piece of comedy, you know, mm-hmm. a performer being cut off in his prime. Yeah. Um, but it's wonderful. It's just wonderful when Webster Smog Pule appears. <laughs> just on that, mm. talking about the characters themselves, you, you've already mentioned Minnie and Henry in terms yeah. of they, they would be the ones that you would probably incline towards your favorite pairings but yeah. do you have favorite characters you know individual characters minor major characters well there's always the the, the minor characters that always spring to mind are, are, are little jim you know and he's falling yeah. in the water and things like that you don't see in every episode i mean the the six classic characters are present throughout this and and um and, and neddy seagoon you know i should think they're the, the core seven aren't they i would say that you would associate with most goon shows mm-hmm. um but pretty much, mate. You know the old the old Peter Sellers character. I can't even know if he's has he got a name. The guy yeah. that just says mate. You know, Will, yeah, he's called uh, William Mate Cobblers. Cobblers, that's it. William Cobblers, yes. Yeah. You know, but they're not used in every single episode. Um, Webster Smogpule is an absolute go-to for me every time, uh, and I sort of like it as well when the announcers try to take on a role. As well, and they they are just so woefully inept, you know. When John Snag or, or or Wallace Greenslade in particular would be given a part to read, and he would read it almost like a BBC announcer, just desperately <laughs> trying to be an actor. Um, yes, yes. And he's it's, it's always got this poor put upon attitude as well, because they look down on him every time as well, <laughs> and put his efforts down. Bless him. So, yeah, it's, it's things when they go off of the. The, the expected routine that I yeah. like as well. well you know. I mean, Greenslade is always being a shill for mm. the Radio Times. 
He's always yeah. promoting the Radio Times and That's it. gets these little lines here and there where he can kind of, um, he, he he often has this kind of air of wounded dignity about him. That's it. Uh, yeah. And, and yeah, occasionally he will even be given a, a character part to play. And I'm thinking particularly, um, I think he fancied, <laughs> I seem to remember reading somewhere or hearing somewhere that he fancied himself as a, a fluent French speaker. Okay. Now, yeah. whether he could speak French or not, I don't know, but mm. he would often be given, if they were doing a, a, a French Yes, he scene, was, yeah. He, he'd be given a role and he'd have to do this French accent, but he would do it in that kind of, that way that people do French accents when they are trying to sound achingly authentic. It's, it just, it's a, the hello, hello accent, isn't it? He does uh, it exactly like hello, come, hello. Yeah, and it just comes, it comes over a... <laughs> comes over just sounding ludicrous, basically. <laughs> Which is probably written in the script anyway. Spike has said ludicrous French accent or something. <laughs> do you have particular types of... I always ask this. Do you have particular mm. types of gags or jokes that you favour over others in the Goon Show? I think it's more sort of the interaction between favourite characters. Um, the, mm-hmm. the incredible set pieces... You know, you you know where a, a, a gag is telegraphed. You you know that it's going to probably lead up to a very poor punchline as well. Mm-hmm. There's, there's a couple of examples in this. One of my, not necessarily in this one, but um, it's it's hands up. What's your name, Mother Brown? Knees up. You know, and it's like a really yes. bad. Um, what was another example? I think I, I think. Sellers is confronted in one of them and they say, ha ha, we've caught you, you're a German spy. He says, no, I'm a shepherd. Ah, shepherd spy. You know, yes. When it's really bad like that and the audience love it and then Milligan just loves the reaction. He says, you know, there's more of that, folks, keep them coming, you know, sort of thing. It's, I, I think for me it's more the sum of the parts than individual gags, to be mm. honest. Um, yeah. And... I could imagine if I was listening to this in the 50s, I would have been anticipating the arrival of Blue Bottle with the same excitement that the audience does. Minnie and Henry, as I say, are probably my two favourite characters throughout. So the interactions between those, rather than the gags themselves, um, and they're just so well written, and the, and the gags carry on as the characters progress over the years. Well, let's bring in Blue Bottle, because mm. I was going to talk about in jokes and private yep. jokes, which they pepper these shows. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can often tell when they've got friends in the audience because you'll hear particularly David Lodge, the actor David Lodge. He's got a very distinctive laugh and you can hear him in the audience. <laughs> yeah. Bringing in Blue Bottle, he comes into this show, not doing his usual entrance, which is enter Blue Bottle, pauses for audience applause, not a not sausage. sausage. Yep. He comes in and he's got this message, which has always intrigued me and and when i was younger i kind of i just went over my head and i think i know what it means now yeah (laughs) but i just want to sort of dig deeper on this if that's okay with you because Mm. so blue bottle comes in and he's got a telegram or a message for for neddy from mrs gladys range 45 sebastopol terrace canthorpe (laughs) sir reference to room you had here during the panama season well, we know what it is. We know who done it. But for heaven's sake, tell us where it is. <laughs> it's a real event, isn't it? I know the story behind it. Go on then. Right. Basically, it's a real letter referring to a real event that actually mm. happened. And Spike refers to it in Piecework, the book that he wrote in the 90s. Um, he tells the story, it's, it's, which I think Piecework is the last of his, his memoirs, isn't it? He's so, done all yes. the war stuff, and this is the final volume. Yeah. Um, I'll quote exactly what it says. Joe Church, in digs in a bitter winter, the loo at the bottom of the garden, taken short in the wee hours. <laughs> he pulled a large fern from its pot, crapped in it, then put the plant back. Two months later, he got a telegram. We know what it is. We know who did it, but for Christ's sake, tell us where it is. <laughs> Genuine story. Now, do we know the actual address of that boarding house? By I, I think Sebastopol Terrace is just one of those addresses. 
that is just always used for comic effect. That, yeah, that crops up quite often, doesn't it? Because Eric Sykes in the Sykes Show lived mm-hmm. on lived on Sebastopol Terrace. There we go. Yeah, and Sykes obviously is involved a little mm. on the the Goon shows as well. So I think that I think it was just something that they picked up on. I'm I'm hoping Sebastopol Terrace is the actual address, but we we will never know. I, I fear we'll never know. I, I was doing I was doing a bit of research. I I kind of worked out for myself what it meant. Yeah. But I was just looking, you know, I was just googling, <laughs> and I noticed that at some point in his in his long and illustrious career, mm. uh, Tony Benn gave a speech. Yeah. And at some point in the speech, and I don't know the context, but he said. I received a letter today from a Mrs. Gladys Freeman of 45 Sebastopol Terrace, Blackpool. <laughs> Sir, reference the room you had here during the party conference season. Well, we know what it is. We know who done it. But for heaven's sake, tell us who it is. Oh. Which is basically, he's obviously lifted that directly from, yeah, from this show. Yeah, typical politician, typical MP, mm. yeah. <laughs> but it is a genuine event, according to Spike's memoirs, <laughs> which I think makes it even funnier. But I like the air of mystery as well, not knowing what it is as well. <laughs> what about the music? I mean, it's particularly in this show, I mean, in all of the shows, but particularly in this show, there's some stirring stuff, isn't there? Yeah, obviously, we've got a lot of military-type music in, you know, keeping with the, the subject matter. Ellington sings a song called Sunday. And I always found when listening to old, old goon shows, there's quite a lovely sort of 50-50 split between standards that you know and then sort of unknown tracks that you've never heard of before and not covered by anybody else yes same as as you know once once we get the old harmonica playing it's oh i know that tune mm. mm-hmm. um or it could be something completely different you've got no idea what it is but sunday in this particular case by ray ellington um was a bit of a big bit of a big hit for frank sinatra Okay. Probably four or five years before, and I think Pat Boone might have covered it, um, the Jules Stein number, you know. So it's nice to see something that may have been a little bit familiar. You asked me off air yesterday whether I used to skip through the the musical numbers when I used mm. to listen. Mm. I don't think I ever did. My mum was a massive big band fan, Glenn Miller in particular, and sort of Artie Shaw and all those sort of guys, you know. Yeah. Um, so I was always brought up on a Sunday with that in the background while the dinner was being cooked, you know. And I was never put off by any of the, the musical interludes. And in fact, as we mentioned on that cassette, when they were cut out, it, it stood out like a sore thumb that they weren't there. It was an integral part of the show for me, I think, the two musical breaks. And as for the usual sort of background stuff, the, the band, Wally Stott and the orchestra, are just having as much fun as the three guys standing up front throughout yes. all of the, every performance and and they're always brought in as well they're integrated into performance they're not like yeah we've got an orchestra tucked at the back you know just doing the music mm. spike would write stuff specifically for them or he would say i need that that magical thing from another episode where the, there's the whole sea shanty thing going yes. on yeah that goes on for about a minute and a half and then seagoon says no i'll join the army instead or something mm. and as I say, with George Chisholm doing his bit, and they're equally, um, you know, a main character in every show for me, the whole orchestra. And also, they're often, very often, being asked to perform music badly. Yeah, which is difficult. Unchained Melody is one of my favourite <laughs> songs. It's my favourite version of that song, to be honest. <laughs> I'm also, I'm thinking of one of my favourite Goon shows ever is The Sleeping Prince from... Mm series seven which is about this fictional principality Mm. and they have a national anthem which gets played throughout the show have you do you you know this one i'm trying to remember it. i've probably heard it at some point because i think i've listened to everything at least once or more than once but it may have been one that i haven't listened to that many times unfortunately it's got this honking old national anthem that everyone has to stop everything and and stand up and salute too whenever it's played. Uh, and I'll drop it in here. Mm-hmm. 
could you imagine the goon show being as impactful and popular without that particular orchestra behind it no because if you imagine up to this point every comedy show on the bbc had a musical interlude i'm assuming i'm pretty sure most of them must have had yeah you know and, and they'd bring on and Shelton or somebody, you know, big musical star at the time. And it would always be done as a very straight piece of the performance. You know, it would be a straight sort of break from the comedy that's going on around, you know. For them to be so disruptive and sort of anarchic about, about you know, a tradition, a BBC tradition, nothing was sacred to these guys, you know. And it's like, no, we're just going to find the, the guys that have got the best sense of humour, get the band together, Wally Stott and all these lot, and we're going to make them part of it and we're just going to let them run right. We don't care if we can hear them laughing in the background. You never would have heard a band laughing in the background of any other no. comedy show up to this point. No. That's what I think made it unique, and I think that's why people like Palin and Cleese and all those guys were like you know what that's actually very subversive almost you know and that's the sort of thing that tickled their funny bones and made them go on to do what they went on to do mm. yeah just just on on that so obviously you you discovered the goons through the unlikely channels of adrian just pretty sure <laughs> that's then... where it was yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then and then went on to collect what was out there that was was out there at the time yeah did it then w- were you a python fan before that or what yes. did that lead oh you were right okay. yeah because I, I was born the year that python started 1969 so obviously mm. wasn't there for the original run but i think it was 78 the bbc rerun the whole of the four series again on sunday evenings mm-hmm. and of course up to this point holy grail had come out brothers were massive fans i think we may have had one of the monty python albums and Early 80s, you know, videos were just coming into the, you know, people's homes at the time. So, you know, I'd, I'd seen Holy Grail at this point and Life of Brian. Uh, as I say, but more of the influence probably was Spike Milligan was still on TV mm. at this point. You know, Spike was still doing the Q stuff with David Lodge and, and Graham Stark and all these people that, you know, I, I think don't get as much accolades as they should. To well, be the, the, the great John Bluthall. John Bluthall, incredible. Mm. Then, and it's, then they would all sort of cross-pollinate as well. They'd go over to sort of Sellers stuff as well, you know. Yeah. They, they were just firm friends of all of them. It's You know, that, that sort of era was wonderful. Absolutely a wonderful time for BBC comedy. But as I say, the early 80s also tinged with the fact that Sellers had died December that year, I think it was, wasn't it? I think it was around about the time Lennon had died, wasn't it? No, it was, uh, it was July 1980. Yeah. So, you know, a terrible year for British entertainment, obviously. But uh, Oh, yeah, because Hitchcock died that year, I think. He did as well, didn't he? I think, yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. So just on Sellers, had mm. you had you seen any of his films as you as you came to The Goons? Were you aware of yeah, his films? It was, mm-hmm. it, was, it was difficult not to. You know, we're talking of the era that a Saturday and a Sunday afternoon was your Sunday matinees, you know, your rainy bank holidays. And you could guarantee that The Mouse That Roared would be on, or I'm <laughs> All Right Jack, or Smallest Show on Earth, or all of these, you know, with Peter Sattler, Lady Killers, you know, they were being shown regularly. It's something that hasn't been done for years now, apart from, get the plug in, Talking Pictures TV, which are, you know, oh, wonderfully, yes. yeah, just recreating that, that golden age of TV with the stuff that would be lost for generations now. They would never get the chance to see them. Um, so no, Sellers was massive. Sellers was. You don't forget the Pink Panther. You know, with the, the return of the Pink Panther came about seventy six or whatever it was. So early eighties, that was getting its premiere on ITV. Mm-hmm. Constant reruns of A Shot in the Dark and the early Pink Panther movies. They were always on TV as well. You know. Yeah. And don't forget, they were all regular guests on Parkinson on a Saturday night. Yes, yes they were. Yes, they were. And they are some of the funniest interviews that man ever did. I think, when the three of them get together. Yeah, Sellers' parents on Parkinson's show, mm. where he goes dressed as a German, the German army helmet, and does yeah. <laughs> does the Kenneth Mars uh, <laughs> character from the producers. Yes. Uh, and, and I'm convinced, because when I first ever heard that, as a downy-cheeked 15-year-old, mm-hmm. or whatever I was at the time, <laughs> when I first heard that recording of him doing that 
sequence from the producers. I had not seen the producers. And I kind of understood what he meant about Churchill. Hitler could paint an entire apartment, two coats one afternoon, okay? And I remember <laughs> even then thinking, that's, that's you doing a bit. Because yeah. you wouldn't say apartment. I was, I was overthinking it, possibly, Scott. Okay, like, yeah, yeah. That's you doing a bit that you've picked up from somewhere, isn't it? Because you wouldn't say apartment. You'd say flat or house or room or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it wasn't until long time afterwards that I realized that he just basically, because he was so enamored of the, the film, the producers. Uh, I think he may have even been approached at one point to be in it. And he, for whatever reason, turned it down or mm. been unavailable. But when he saw it, he loved it so much. I think he took out a full page ad in, in the New York Times or or one of the trade papers basically saying, Get you everyone has to see this movie. Yeah. And I and I think that was that really was a real shot in the arm in terms of that film's success, his endorsement. Yeah. Surprising that Mel Brooks never picked him up for anything after that, to be honest, you know, because he is the perfect Mel Brooks actor, isn't he? That stable of actors that Mel Brooks seemed to gravitate towards Sellers would have fitted in that group perfectly, I think. Well, Milligan's been in a Brooks film, hasn't he? Was he in the history of the world? Yes. Milligan tends to have two or three stock characters that he does in films, uh, one of them being the the old man with a big long beard. And I think he was... The, oh, Life of Brian. Was, <laughs> Life of Brian. I think he was. I think he did that in the Three Musketeers film as well. I think he did, didn't he? Was, was he in Jabberwocky as well? I can't remember if he was in uh, that. I don't know if he was. Because everybody was in that. He may have been. But yeah. <laughs> he may have been. Yeah, yeah. No, uh, Sellers, you would have thought with the amount of love that Sellers had for the producers that mm. him and him and Brooks would have collaborated in, in the exactly. 70s. Exactly, yeah. What would you say would be your number one in terms of if you had to kill all your darlings, what would be yep. the, the one Peter Sellers film that you would take with you onto a this notional desert island? Funny enough, it's one that probably is the, the sum of all its parts are greater than Peter Sellers' performance because of who else is with him. And it's almost an ensemble piece and it's two-way stretch for me. Mm. Yeah. When you, when you think yeah. you're Irene Handel, David Lodge... Liz Fraser, Bernard Cribbins, uh, Lionel Jeffries, Maurice Denham, Wilfred mm-hmm. Hyde White. When you look at that cast list, yeah, and yeah, that that for me, all, all right. There are funnier Peter Sellers performances out there. There are probably better Peter Sellers movies out there, but it's the one that, as you say, if you if you were pointing a gun to my head right now, I would have to say it, it would always be. It's my favourite Peter Sellers film. Put it that way. Mm. Yeah, I. I had them all or had what was available on VHS at the time when I was mm. younger. And that was one of them. And I really, I liked it well enough and I mm. found it pleasing. It wasn't actually until recently that I rewatched it for the first time in about 25 years, something like yeah. that. And I rewatched it and I absolutely adored it. And it had a lot of energy that reminded me of the, um, the League of Gentlemen, 1960 League of Gentlemen film. Absolutely. Yes. It's mm. it's smack bang in that carry on period as they tr- um, sort of progress from the early black and whites going into the color golden age of the carry ons as well. And it's this wonderful late fifties early period of of British comedies, and it's just on the verge of that Hollywood superstardom. It's the same year as the Millionaire S, nineteen sixty. You know, bigger things are on the horizon. It'll be another three years, four years before the Pink Panther, but it's just that wonderful sort of part in his his career that you know big things are going to happen. And the thing is, he, he plays it, I'll say he plays it fairly straight. He does, he just plays a Cockney, Cockney villain mm. in this, in prison. There's no need for him to put on voices or disguises or play two or three characters in this one. And as I say, the, the way the script is written in two-way stretch, everybody gets an equal share of the pie. David Lodge and, and Bernard Cribbins are equally billed. Yes. Because they're sharing the same cell, you know, and they get as many lines and as many funny lines. But I'd, I'd say the star of that actual movie was probably Irene Handel. She is the one that does the biggest comedy turn. But then there's the performance from Lionel Jeffries as Gramsci, yeah. which is just incredible, you know. I think there may have been a, possibly a little bit of tension on set because Lionel Jeffries... Um, for all the you know um, the, the the performance from Sellers is great, but Lionel Jeffries is is astonishing. 
just in terms of the, the, the vitriol, the rage, the, the ranting. Well, now, this is about the nastiest little collection of villainy as I've seen in one cell for a long time. Dodger Lane, for a start. By the way, whatever happened to that mate of yours, you know, the one who tried to flog a couple of aircraft carriers, Soapy something or other. What was it? Soapy Stevens. I don't know nothing about that. Shut up! I'm talking! Oh, here's another one. Mr. Jelly Knight. Another old acquaintance, never to be forgot. Caught at the old safe-blowing lark again, I suppose, would you? Oh, now. Is a nasty, evil little face I've not met before. Who's this, then? That's Lenny the Dip. Pickpocket, are you? Come here. I'll soon teach you to keep your thieving little hands to yourself. Come on! <laughs> you never get shortchanged by Lionel Jeffries, do you? Never. He, he, he always gives 110%, even in things like Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. And, yes. You know, the, the stuff that he has to be a little bit overblown. Absolutely superb. Very good director as well. Yeah, well, I mean, Railway Children yeah. is, is one of my favourite films of all time. Yeah. Um, I love The Amazing Mr. Blunden, which I know you guys have, have uh, slagged off. on uh, um... Mixed reviews, I think we'll say <laughs> on that one. I, I was fine with it. It was probably one of my co-hosts. <laughs> yes, I was being a bit unfair there, wasn't it? <laughs> Did you ever see The Last Goon Show of All? Yes, I actually watched it. Probably I watched it again last year. I think I had another little look at it. Yeah. Okay. And what, what's your? Because that's quite an interesting artifact. That it's it's a wonderful piece of history that's been caught on film uh, in an era when the BBC were wiping mm. things like that. It, it's a wonderful document of something that you would have liked to have seen being recorded because. All right, it, it takes some of the magic away of what's going on behind those microphones, uh, seeing the special effects being done, the sound effects, you know, and, and, and watching the orchestra laughing and joking. Um, sometimes some of the funniest minute, uh, sometimes the funniest moments in goon shows are, like you said, is where you hear somebody like David Lodge just laughing at a private joke and you, you don't know what it's all about, Mm-hmm. Um, but it just makes it more intriguing and more funny. So some of the magic has been taken away. It's a bit of like a peeping behind the curtain of the Wizard of Oz sort of thing. You yes. Know? Um, how much of that? How much of that was was deliberate? Do you think? How much of that was spontaneous, and how much of that was playing for the for the cameras? Fifty fifty, I'd mm. say. Um, the chemistry is still there. We're talking. Were we talking ten years since they all got together to record the last sort of goon show before 12. that? 12, Twelve years, yeah. yeah. Um but they remained friends anyway, didn't they, throughout yes. their lives. So they were always meeting up whenever sellers would fly over and so that would never go away. That chemistry would never go away in that friendship. Um and I think they just fell into that script without even thinking about it. You know, it's 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 something that they did for so many years, week in, week out. It'd be difficult not to. It's part of their, you know, part of their DNA almost. Yeah, because um, it's just going back to I was Monty's treble. There's clearly sequences which are spontaneous, ad libbed, and then yeah. and then there's one or two, one in particular that clearly are meant to come across, or possibly meant to come across as being off the cuff, but yeah. but aren't, and 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 it, which which you know were probably rehearsed to within an inch of their life. There's the <laughs> bit when. Harry is talking about the fact that the Germans have got wind and then Eccles sort of butts in and says, ooh. <laughs> and Harry right says... About the I was nipped in the bud and all that lot of yes, stuff, isn't it? It's all of that. Which, which I think that was possibly an ad lib. But, but... I, I think this is the example, as I said earlier, that that part of the script had only been written that morning mm. and some of it falls very flat. But because of the, the chemistry, as I say, between them, the ad libs make it something completely different and probably make it funnier, yeah. to be honest. I just want to sort of reiterate that I think this is a good starting point for newcomers to The Goon Show mm-hmm. in the fact that I think the classic elements are all there. You know, we've got the classic seven characters all make an appearance. For me personally, it was one of the first ones that I listened to again and again and again because it was one of the ones I had on cassette, one of the first cassettes that I got. And it was nice to know that when I started listening to the second one or the third one that I got, these characters reappeared 
and yes. you start to build up a love for them or a recognition of them. You know, it's like, oh, I wonder if Minnie and Henry are going to be in the next one. And sure enough, there they are. You know, this is not too taxing for anybody that's new to the Goon Show, this particular one. Um, yeah, there's there's occasional shows because you, you develop that anticipation mm. for your favourite characters you know, turning up. Yeah. When, you, when you're listening to a show for the first time and there's occasions when there'd be certain shows where, you know, for whatever reason, Minnie or Henry wouldn't be in or Grip Pipe and Moriarty wouldn't be in or Grip Pipe would and Moriarty wouldn't. Um, yeah. Not very often, but, the, you know, there the, the mm. were occasions. And and there's shows like there's, the one that sticks in my mind <laughs> was um, Drums Along the Mersey, yep. I think, from, from Series 7. I think that was first or second episode of Series 7. Mm-hmm. And Blue Bottle isn't in it. And, ah, right, and, yeah. And until the theme music at the end ends, <laughs> and then you just hear off stage Blue Bottle shouting, yeah, what wasn't I on this week? Yeah, it's also the position in the episode where they appear as well, because you mm. always know that Moriarty and Grip Pipe are going to be first, mm-hmm. then it'll be Minnie and Henry, and Blue Bottle and Eccles will be towards the tail end of each episode as well. They've all got their set place in the story, haven't they, when you think about it? Yeah. Most yeah, that's right, because mm. very often the plot will, will revolve around some some plot of Grip Pipe <laughs> and Moriarty, which is which is yeah. going to lead to the downfall of Neddy. So yeah. that needs that needs to be set up and established. Then yeah. you'll have Neddy needs some some assistance or some advice <laughs> From or Minnie some and Henry of all people, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then we'll get the we'll get following the Ray Ellington number, we'll get the Neddy will step away from the mic for a couple of minutes and allow Blue Bottle and Eccles to uh, have a Do little bit of cross talk. Mm. Yeah, similar to um, you know, if I was to recommend say a, a Hancock's Half Hour to anybody, it would have to be an episode that featured Sid James, Hattie Jakes, Bill Kerr, and Kenneth Williams. There's a golden age of of Hancock where those five are in it. And again, I would have to say if anybody had a starting point for Hancock's Half an Hour, it would have to be amongst that sequence of episodes um but yeah this is a very i'm very comfortable with this episode this one i have no problems with whatsoever and there's a lot of fond memories of a of you know of an early sort of teenage boy just listening to these things and being absolutely fascinated by them absolutely well listen scott thank you so much for, for for coming on and helping me talk about the goons and it's always a pleasure to do so um, yes and I, my pleasure thank you and i'd love to have you back at some point in the future perhaps to, to talk about a, one of the films definitely um, and the, the invite goes both ways my friend if you'd like to appear on a real britannia talking about not necessarily a peter sellers movie but any british movie of your choice oh i'd love to chinwag about that yeah absolutely we can talk about that for sure so yes in terms of your podcast can you do you want to just give the listeners a, an overview as to where they can find them what they are etc I'll be as brief as I can with this one because we're in the day and age now that podcasts can be found pretty anywhere. So all of my podcasts are available where you get your podcasts from. Uh, Eight years ago, I started with The Stinking Paws, which is, if anybody's familiar with the Planet of the Apes movies, it's a play on on, on the famous Charlton Heston line. Uh, That one's a bit more of a fun one where a a group of me and, you know, a few friends get together and we we talk about, it started off with classic Hollywood movies, but it's pretty much anything goes with what sort of movie we talk about. That's monthly now, been going for eight years. Real Britannia, episode every two weeks or so, we just celebrated our 100th episode and British movies through and through, but we cover everything from carry-on movies, James Bond movies, war films, right up to date. You know, we reviewed um, that latest Tom Hardy craze movie a few episodes back, Legend. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, so we're not, we've got no time restrictions on what British movies we review there. Love that one. That's that's sort of more of a passion project, the uh, the Real Britannia. You've Rainbow, done, um, mm, you've, sorry. You've, you've done Heavens Above on that, haven't you? We have done. We've done quite a few Peter Sellers um, Heavens Above was a bit of an eye-opener at how good that movie actually is. I think it's one of the ones that are not talked about enough. Biting satire in that one. Isn't Malcolm Muggeridge in that? Yes, he is. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Sorry, so I, that, I, I, I cut in there. Sorry. No, that's fine. So that's that's Real Britannia. Um, one that has sort of slipped by the wayside a bit because it takes me so long to do. 
I do a documentary podcast called Rainbow Valley, which is the history of the 1960s. It's uh, music, memories, news events. It's, I've covered everything from Brian Epstein to the JFK assassination to the Apollo 11 landings to Martin Luther King, Woodstock, you know, all that sort of thing. And then Yeah, I, I listened to the Zabruder footage episode. Uh, the other day really good about nearly two and a half hours that took mm. me about four months to put together wow. so yeah <laughs> currently working on the making of zulu will be the next yeah. episode so okay. hopefully next couple of months that will see the light of day so that's rainbow valley and for the last two years i've been the co-host along with mel and daniel on the official talking pictures tv podcast which for anybody that's got any interest in not just classic British movies, there's a lot of Hollywood stuff there, some great British TV that you may have forgotten about. It's the channel to turn to. It's available on Freeview and every bit, everywhere at the moment. And um, I think people are gradually wising up to just how good that channel actually is. It is. It's, it's absolutely superb. It needs to be in HD. Yeah, that's the thing. Or, or even an app or sort of on demand mm. somehow. But, yeah. Yeah, but it's... It, it is literally run from a shed at the bottom of the garden. <laughs> I'm not joking. And Sarah and Noel that that run the station are absolutely passionate about what they do. And wonderful people. It's a wonderful channel. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Fantastic. Well, as I said, Scott, we'll have you back for sure. And um, And thanks for listening. As I always say, every week, please rate and review in the usual places, particularly iTunes. Because uh, it does help in terms of uh, visibility, getting the show uh, noticed and heard. Please follow on Twitter. Uh, it's at Goon Show Pod. Until next time, bye.